You're unchangeable. Isn't that good to know? Now, that doesn't mean that God is inflexible. That doesn't mean that God is not dynamic. That doesn't mean that God is not present in every moment, and he can be whatever he wants to be in every situation as long as it's consistent with who he is. But he is unchangeable. He is a rock. He is someone that we can always count on. And uh, what an incredible truth that is. Today, Today we want to apply that very truth to this series that we've been looking at, and that is that It's a a series on calling, and we've been talking about living our callings, and every Christian has a calling. All of us are called. The scriptures make that very clear. All of us are called. Each of us are gifted to serve in differing ways to fill out the ministries of the church and to fill out the needs that we have to be met with one another and to make a difference glorifying God in the world. All of us are called. Each of us are gifted. And it's typical of God, as we serve with those gifts, to purify our motives over time until we, we, we serve from that well of pleasing him more than anything else. No reciprocity, no, no perks, uh, n- nothing coming, coming back to us necessarily other than just the, the smile of our God. And when our motives are that pure, we become a juggernaut in this world to serve him. What could stop a person like that? Last week we learned that our calling's not just about what we do. God calls us to a task we often think of, but God especially calls us not to do something, but to be something, to be like his son, to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're called to be conformed to Christ. And as I've looked at this series, you know, uh, it's come completely just from studying the Word. Uh, there, there, there's no real resources for this other than the Word, and that's really all that's necessary. But I looked up every verse I could find in, in, the, in the Scriptures about calling, and I kept working around one. Can a pastor admit that? Yeah. You know? Every now and then there's a, there's, a, there's a Scripture, you're not really sure you know what it means, and you're not really sure you want to know. <laughs> right? You ever, ever been there? It's kind of like that grit of sand that gets into the, into the mollusk and, and only over time it, does it become a pearl, right? But I'll tell you this, if it's the word of God, it's a pearl even if it irritates you, right? And so e- even things that we're not sure we understand are, are, are worth exploring in the word of God because they're a rock that can bless us. And God can make a pearl of it in our lives if we don't reject it, if we're willing to work with it. And so are you curious at all about the scripture that I've been tiptoeing around because I didn't know what it meant? Anybody at all? Here it is. It's in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. And it's often quoted completely out of context and used to mean so many different things that I don't think it means at all. Romans eleven twenty nine says this. You've probably heard it before. before. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. I started by looking at other translations. Some of them read, God's gift and call can never be withdrawn. 
Another version said uh, God's gift and callings are without repentance. And that doesn't mean those of us who are called never repent. That means that God doesn't repent of, of what he gives, of who he chooses, of who he calls us to be. And that, that's in Romans eleven twenty nine, and, and that's at a place where Paul is talking about the role that the Jews continue to have as favored in the sight of God and with purpose in the sight of God, even though when Jesus Christ, his son, came, they rejected him. And he's making a point that God is big enough in his unchangeableness, in his unshakableness, right, to still have a plan for the Jews, even though they have rejected him. And John tells us that that's exactly what happened. And he came into his own, he says in John chapter 1, verse 11. And Jesus came into his own, and his own did not receive him. His own people, by and large, rejected him. Now, a lot of them did accept him, right? A lot of them did. And they became uh, the seed crowd of that early church. But even from the beginning, it was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles it wasn't just a Jewish thing. It was a worldwide mission, and everybody was in the crosshairs of God's target to love. All of us. So, so what does it mean? It just asserts it. That, that, that's kind of a strange context, isn't it? Well, what, what he's saying, if you read, uh, turn with me, if you will, to Romans. You don't have to take my word for it. Let's look at it in the word. Verse 28 starts, From the standpoint of the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies of the gospel for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts, and that's where he says it, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. He states it like it's some self-evident truth. That anybody who knows anything about God or anything about the Jewish faith or anything about truth would just find this self-evident. That doesn't, it doesn't have that effect with me. But it's true. For, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. I, I wonder what he's basing that on. It might be Numbers 23, 19 where it says that, that God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of man that he should repent. God is different than people. He understands the beginning from the end and everything in the middle, no matter how it goes, no matter how our free will works into it. God is still a super navigator. He can take whatever the winds have blown in our lives and still navigate us towards the shore that he intends for us. God is that kind of, of wise, loving, powerful Capable Father. God's gifts, then he says, and callings are irrevocable. And, and what he's saying here is even in Romans, he's making the point that even though the Jews have rejected Jesus, God's going to use the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous of what they passed on so that someday all of us can be sinners coming home to God. 
He's, he's saying that just as God used the Jews to bring the word to the Gentiles, he's going to use the Gentiles to bring the word to the Jews. In the end, the father is laughing. It's his plan. It's all culminating in a way that brings him glory and blesses his kids and blesses his people. Even when we reject him, even when we resist him, even when we blow it, that redemptive love force is at work in the world and in us all the time. What he's saying to the Jews and Romans and to us today is wherever you are in your calling, wherever you are in your calling, God's redemptive plan is still on. It's still a reality. It's still something that we can tap into. Another translation renders it then, and in and, and light of that larger context, I think it actually translates it, God doesn't take back his gifts that he has given or disown the people he has chosen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Isn't that good? God doesn't give us a calling, and some of us feel this way about it, I think sometimes. We, we, we kind of shy away from the calling because we think if we do it and we blow it, we're going to get judged. <laughs> Not you? I was a pre-med major out of absolute terror that God was calling me to be a preacher. I told him it would help people. I told him it was an admirable profession, and it is. I told him that it would be productive for his kingdom. I would witness to people as I helped them heal and as they helped me drive my Jaguar. Right? But, but, th but this whole idea of becoming a pastor, my, my, my dad was so good at that, and he did it so well, that I thought if there was anything I could do and totally mess up, it would be what God might be calling me to do. It's a terrifying thing, isn't it? Sometimes to step into what you think God is really calling you to, what, what God would really bless if if, if you just trust him with it, if you, if you just step out, if, if you take some courage and, and, and trust him to provide as you, you trust him to unfold, right? But callings are like that because callings always have room for you and God in them. And if they've got room for you and God and you're thinking about doing it on your own to impress God, you'll always be overwhelmed. You'll always be overwhelmed. Calling is a two-seater. It's got a pilot and a co-pilot, and we could do a whole series on which one of those seats is yours, right? But, but our calling is a partnership with God, really in the way we do life. And here it tells us that because God is who God is, and God is always at work. That's what Jesus said. He says in, in, in uh, I'm not even sure where it is. I thought it was John 6. Maybe it's in Luke. Where, where he says, my father is at work and I am always at work too. And the very things that I see my father doing, I also do. 
that the Father may be glorified. Jesus had eyes to see what God was doing around him and to join him in it, and that is the nature of all of our callings. It's not in a position. Now, it can be lived out in a position. It's not in a a location, right? It's it's not confined to a stage of life. Well, someday when the kids are raised... Someday when I've graduated school, someday when I've got a job, well, then I'll get serious about what God's calling me to do and to be, right? It's not something that uh, is inaccessible to us at any moment or from any place. God has a way of working through us and in us right where we are. And because of that, because we cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus, I think Paul is saying here as well, we cannot be separated from his redemptive plans for our lives. If you think you've blown it, that, that life has somehow taken your, your, your trajectory off course, from wherever you are and from whatever broken place you're in and and whatever job you shouldn't be in and whatever relationships that have come along that were were not of his plan, you you don't think any of that. From every place that you are, God can navigate a redemptive plan. And so his calling is always on for us. One of the reasons I wasn't sure I really wanted to tackle this scripture is because I've heard it used, I think misused in so many ways. God's calling is irrevocable. Well, does, does that mean that uh, when we blow it or, or televangelists blow it, that we're just to still give them credibility for being who they claim to be, but we're not? Is that what it means? That God's calling is irrevocable. So we have no responsibility in it. No, that, I don't think that's what it means at all. Does it, does it mean that, that servants of God and ministers of God, those of us who are Christians can be lazy and ineffective and still entitled to all the things that we call Christian? Are we still entitled to lead if we're lazy? Does that mean that, that the Oklahoma conference has no right to cancel my credentials? They have whatever rights man gives them. But take my credentials away? I'm still God's. I'm still God's. And from whatever point I am, I can continue to give myself to his redemptive purposes in my life and through my life for others. The calling is still on even if you did not get the diploma. Are you with me? God wants to work with you wherever you are, in whatever season you are. And in fact, I thought about calling this, this message really that, 
that we are to fulfill our calling in all seasons, in every season. There are things that I think this doesn't mean. Does it mean that if, if my gift is being a musician, you know, I've, I've talked to uh, Bob Stillman, and he plays beautifully up here, but he plays through pain. You know, he doesn't have 20-year-old fingers anymore. Does that mean that, well, it must not be a God-given gift if that's the way he serves and his fingers are starting to give him trouble? No, God's callings are irrevocable. But that also doesn't mean that if his hands get to the point that they're so arthritic he can't play anymore, that God's calling on his life is off. God will just find another way to use us, another way to bless us, and another way to bless others through us. God's calling, his working, and working with us and working through us is something that he never repents of, even as messy as it gets. (laughs) He's the potter whose hands are filthy with the clay, right? And from every point, no matter where we are, he can... Work with us, work through us. What, what a great bit of good news that is. The calling and the giftings of God are, are irrevocable. He doesn't say, I'm sorry that I called you. I'm, 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 I'm sorry that I gifted you. He's glad for the ways that he has empowered you to bless others. Now, I think it does mean that God is constant even if the seasons of our lives change. Even though we change from time to time, and the way that we express that calling may, may, uh, may shift, God's purposes are ongoing. And whatever the season is in our life, we can join God in what he continues to do. He's always at work around us. I remember a good friend down at First Methodist. I shared the ministry suite with him. He was the uh, minister of evangelism, and I was the minister of assimilation, and we did quite a few things together. So we we shared an office together. His name was Bob McAdoo. Bob McAdoo, incredible guy. He he played football for um, Bear Bryant. That must have been a pretty fun season, don't you think? Played football, football for Bear Bryant. But, but he was a Christian, and, and he, he was a successful businessman, ran a concrete manufacturing company, I think it was. Isn't that right, Mom? In Johnson City, where, where was it? Johnson City, Tennessee. That's right. Johnson City, Tennessee. Great, great company. And he single-handedly, as the head of that company, won about every single person in that company to Christ. The salesman that would come to interact. If you spent 10 minutes with Bob, chances are you'd be on your knees before you left the office accepting Jesus into your life. Bob was a juggernaut for introducing people to Jesus. That was his calling. It didn't matter if he was a football player or if he was a concrete president. And my father recognized that. He didn't have any ministerial credentials. He just had a calling. And so God called. Dad asked 
this guy, Bob McAdoo, a businessman, to become his minister of evangelism at, at one of the fastest growing churches in, in America at the time here at Tulsa First, right? And Bob gladly jumped at the chance because he knew it was going to be right in the wheelhouse of all that God had always called him to do. And then Bob got old. Bob got old and he retired. But does that mean that God's calling on Bob McAdoo changed? Bob was still Bob. It was still on, right? <laughs> the family tells stories of Bob McAdoo in the later years of his life going in for certain procedures, you know, those procedures that keep you going in life. And he was having one of those procedures and they were wheeling him from the prep room into the surgical area. And as they were, you know, the little gal is walking along with the, with the IV, you know, and the little tower. And she's walking along as they're taking him by in their gurney. And as they crossed some other people, the waiting room, and it was overheard, Bob asking this nurse as she was going down the hall, Honey, do you have a home church? Right? He's already on the funny juice. But you can't t change who Bob McAdoo was. That, that's who God had made him to be. That's how the Holy Spirit worked through him. And nothing was going to change that. Now, it, it might have changed where he did it. His position was no longer one of being on a church staff. It didn't matter. God used him in different ways through his life. Now, in each one of these sermons so far... We've, we've had a little poster child apostle, right, that illustrated this particular uh, facet of calling. And for, for this Sunday, uh, I, I would like to introduce you to the apostle John as the man of all seasons. Seven decades he served his Lord. But in each one of those decades, in each one of those phases of his life, though how he served changed, he was nevertheless trusting God to be faithful to empower him in his calling. Do you remember he, he started as the one who leaned on Jesus' breast at the, uh, at the Lord's Supper that night? Do you remember? That, that was John. And in his gospel, he wrote that I, he never mentions himself by name. In fact, his total identity has been lost to this one phrase, the disciple that Jesus loved. As if that's all that mattered anymore. He never mentions himself by name, and he's not being arrogant. I'm the one that Jesus loved, not you other guys. No. It's just that everything else ceased to matter to him. And John was the one that was one of the closest to Jesus. Whenever Jesus needed some di disciples along, I think sometimes to, to shore him up, he would choose a few to go a little farther and a little deeper and a little more private. Do you remember those guys' names? Peter, James, and John. They were the sons of thunder, Boanerges. When your back's against a wall, who do you call? Not Ghostbusters, you call the sons of Boanerges, is who you call, the sons of thunder. These were some hot-headed, passionate Galileans. And when you needed someone to stir your spirit and to keep you going, that's who I would have hung out with. That's who Jesus hung out with. And John must have loved being that kind of companion to Jesus in his ministry. 
Now, that was for one season of his life. And then as Jesus is on the cross and he's dying, another season kicks off. We can go to the next slide. Do you, do you remember this scene? Uh, John is the one there by Mother Mary. And from the cross, Jesus says something interesting. He says, Mom, behold your son. Johannan, John, behold your mother. And he was giving them to one another. John, uh, Jesus was the, the oldest in his family, right? So he's, he's handing down the mantle of the eldest son who takes care of the family in their old age. He's saying, now, Mom, John is your son. Now, John, Mary is your mother. And it said that when the world was divided up for the apostles to go and reach many for Christ, that John chose at the, the, the war with Rome around 70 AD to go with Mary to a safer place in Ephesus at a time. It was a port city from which the gospel could spread. He went as the caregiver of Mary while the other apostles were getting to go be pastors and evangelists around the world. How would you have felt about that? Right? Well, what a privilege in some ways. But while all these other guys are out changing the world, you're washing dishes for Mary. What a season. What a season. Was, was God's call off for John? Had he been sidelined? Was he never going to become an apostle like all the others were apostles? No, God used even that season. There was a season where John's priority was taking care of Mary after Jesus died. But, Jesus, but John, because he didn't go out on those apostolic, apostolic roots to change the world, was the one who lived to a ripe old age. He lived into his late 90s, we think. They tried to kill him. They supposedly boiled him in oil, but he wouldn't cook. And so seeing that they couldn't kill him, they had to uh, exile him to uh, an island off in the middle of the Mediterranean, to Patmos. But even there, was God done with him? No, he, he, he wrote revelations there from Patmos. And in the in-between time, he went from being a caregiver of Mary to a caregiver of the church. He was the one that wrote probably one of the most complete, uh, that's maybe not the right word, most, most expansive gospels. It places Jesus as his role within all creation. Read John. It's very different than just the, the biography of Mark or, or the, the empowering of the Spirit in Jesus' life through Luke, or even the, the Jewish Messiah that has come with Matthew. John, it is expansive. It is worldwide. It is cosmic, right? He, he wrote that gospel, and he wrote it to the young church. Once he got finished taking care of, of Mary, he then turned his attention to the churches that were largely already created. And he became a pastor father to those churches in his epistles over and over again. He'll refer to those churches as my little children, my padilla, my little children, right? So, so he, he goes from Jesus' best bud to another chapter where he's 
Mary's caregiver to, to another chapter where he is uh, the caregiver of the church and the writer of the gospel. And then he goes from being this tender pastor to being one of the toughest hombres that Rome has ever dealt with. They couldn't kill the dude. You know? Imagine throwing a guy in boiling oil and he doesn't even get chicken fried. He comes out still praising the Lord, right? And they realize there's something here too powerful for us to deal with. What do you do with that? You exile them somewhere where you won't have to deal with them, to Patmos. In each chapter of his life, John could have said, well, I'm off God's radar. How's God going to use me here? Everybody else is off on mission. Here I am. Love you, Mary. And he probably did, like a mom. But even in that place, he got to know those churches in Ephesus. And Ephesus became, through Paul and others, kind of a seedbed of the spread of the gospel throughout the whole Mediterranean world. It, was, it, was, it, it, it became the heartbeat place. He was a part of all that. And he loved those churches that came out of it. He found his role. And even in a cave at Patmos with no one around to support him, he still found his way to fulfill his calling. And all of us can. Think about King David. There, were those, there was that season where he just played his harp for his flocks and took care of the sheep. And then that became a season where he played his harp for the king, calmed his restless heart. There was a season where he served God even though he couldn't be king because he was running from Saul and a warrior defending the, the, the country against the uh, Philistines. So, so he went from shepherd to warrior to ruler king expanding Jerusalem and watching over its peace to, to a man that's broken and in sin but God still uses him even after that to lead Israel, and I think maybe one of the most significant chapters of his life was not one of the most glorious. It was David as a broken man trying to be a leader to his family that had become the recipients of the brokenness of his whole life. And when his family didn't seem to respond well, when his kids turned against one another, when, when they turned against him even. Remember that story? Absalom? Remember Tamar? Do you, do you remember all the difficulty that was in that family? Nevertheless, even in that season, God leads his heart to seek out a son to father, and he ends up fathering Mephibosheth back into the royal family. Different seasons, different things going on. Joseph. God used him when he was a dreamer with his brothers. God used him when he was a servant to Potiphar. God used him when he was a steward in the prison. God used him when he was the top administrator of Egypt. God used him thereafter to save God's people from the famine that would have wiped them out. Every season of his life, even though there were times, I'm sure, in that prison that he thought God had abandoned him and forgotten him. We don't have time for that whole story, but that was part of that story. Nevertheless, God was using them. The calling is still on. How about you? You as a youth, 
you as a student in high school or a student in college? Or are you as a person that's digging into those foundational days of your career? Or, or maybe you have a family now and you're raising kids. Or maybe you're, you're in the, the, the pinnacle of, of your profession and now it's yours not only to grow the company but to do something of significance, not just success. Maybe this season is a season of empty nesting for you. Where you've raised your own kids and now God is calling you to use that influence that shaped those lives. Do you think God just sets aside people that have had that kind of significant influence in somebody else's life and says, I can't use you? My calling's off. You've missed it. It's behind you now. Or, or maybe in retirement. Don't think that because there was a time that you had a great job and a lot of responsibility uh, that now that you're retired, God considers you expendable. Why would he do that? God's wiser than that. You, you could be available now to nurture and mentor others, maybe like you've never been before. You might be that mentor in the larger community of the church. You might be that mentor in the most focused community of your family, not having kids to raise of your own. What can you impart to your grandkids, to your children? to your family, now. I, I see God, the way my dad used to explain it was he said, you know, I've been given the great gift of being able to play in different seasons of my life almost every key on my keyboard. You know how some songs are, are, are kind of in this range and some songs may work with, with, with this end of the scale? But he, he said there were places and times in his life where God seemed to always be playing the same song, but he was working with different keys in it at different times. His first opportunity was to grow a Boy Scout group. And I can tell you stories about that. Do I have time? Probably not. They're funny stories. I'll tell you one. Dad, dad, dad was on the side of the road with his buddies. And my dad was a fun-loving kid. I, I, preacher that he became, that might not be that obvious, but he was. He was a mischievous little guy. And, and so they were on the side of the road, and they had this deal where they would all uh, get off their bikes and twist them up and everything, and they would throw ketchup all over their bodies and so forth. And a car would come by and think that some horrible accident happened. And then when people would jump out of the car to, to, to check on them, they'd all jump on their bikes and run away, Right? Well, uh, they were having that same kind of fun one afternoon, and the car came to a screeching halt and pulled over on the side, and they said, get up, go, go. And somebody grabbed my dad's bike. And so he was on foot, and the guy that was in the car was just in his elder 20s, and he still had some wheels, legs. He could run. He was fast. He was the area uh, Boy Scout troop leader. And he ran my dad down, <laughs> threw him on the ground and was on top of him. And it says, uh, they called him Brad then. Brad, you're going to be at my Boy Scout meeting next weekend or I'm going to tell your dad what you've been up to. <laughs> and my dad said, you know, I didn't know it, but I've never wanted to be a Boy Scout more in all my life. <laughs> 
And, and, and dad became a part of that Boy Scout group, and him and Jimmy Ellis, uh, that, that scout leader, grew the group. It became a group of over 100 kids. Dad became an Eagle Scout, and he says everything he ever needed to know about ministry, he learned when he was a kid trying to lead that Boy Scout group, how to lead a meeting, how to give a talk, how to correct someone when they're wrong. All the gifts that were necessary for him to become a pastor someday, God was using when he was an Eagle Scout and just a kid. No chapter of your life is without God working in it. Amen. Don't miss him, whatever chapter it is. Dad, dad served God as a student. He, then, he stirred, served God as a pastor evangelist and all these little circuit churches. And then uh, as a pastor... He had to survive going blind in both eyes. That was a season of life. But even that wasn't wasted. In fact, that catapulted him into the rest of his life. He realized that he could lose his eyes and his opportunities to learn might be limited. And so he went back to school and got his doctorate. And before he was finished with his doctorate, he was given the opportunity to be a professor. And he became a professor evangelist training other pastors. But then God wasn't through with that. Then he called him to be a dean, multiplying professors and pastors and evangelists. And then as a pastor, he went to Tulsa first and led that as a model church. And then as a veteran pastor, retired, he began pouring into other people's lives, checking up on friends. He was almost always on the phone with somebody, loving a friend from the past, checking up on them, seeing how they're doing. Well, Brother Jimmy, what are you doing calling me? He loved surprising people with those kind of touches in their lives. He mentored others. He talked to Asbury about giving Jeff a scholarship. He talked to me every week about being a better pastor. And if you would try to tell me that all those previous years were somehow a faded memory, the last chapter of my dad's life was the richest chapter of my dad's life in my life. He was never more a father and there, there, there might be some people that would say, looking at those super productive years and those super productive chapters, that that's really when God used my dad. <laughs> you don't know the story. You don't know the reality. My dad was maybe more of a focused, concentrated blessing in my family to the, to the wife that he had loved all those years and to the children that he loved and he believed in and he lifted up. No chapter need be a waste because our God's gifts, choosing of us and calling of us and gifting of us is without repentance. He, does not, he is not sorry for it. He never regrets having you on his team. He'll find a way to use you for his purposes and his glory no matter what chapter you may be in. Some of you need to hear that this morning. How do, how do we apply this, this, this phrase that God's callings are irrevocable in our own lives? Here, let me give you just a few ways. Number one, quit that someday thinking. Don't wait for a someday season where you'll serve God. You can serve him now. 
Don't pine over some earlier time where you think that you were more effective, more powerful, more notable as a servant of God in the past. Don't pine over some golden season of the past. If, 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 you're, if you're in a habit of doing that, I would invite you to repent of that. God will work through you right here, right now, in ways different, but days just as powerful and just as sensitive to who you are and who the people are around you as he did then and there. He can work here and now. Don't give up because this is not that supposed golden season. Don't disqualify yourself if you feel like, well, you know, I, I'm not prepared and I don't have the position and no one would recognize me. No. All around you right now, God is at work. Join him in what God is doing. It's John 5, 17. Here it is, the scriptural reference. My father is working until now and so I work. And what was Jesus doing then? He was explaining why he was being a faithful servant of God at a time where it was out of season. It was the Sabbath. He was defending himself at a time where everybody else would have said, no, you ought to be sidelined right now. <laughs> but that's never God's plan. God's callings and God's giftings are irrevocable. He's not sorry he's chosen to bless the world through you. I was at a concert the other day. It was a, it was a comedy concert, and I'll close with this. There was a gentleman there that came out, and I, I thought, uh, man, is his mic breaking up? Because he would, like, have gaps in his speaking, you know? I thought maybe the mic out, you know, something like that. But, but it wasn't. His, his, his voice was just so broken and so raspy. And... When he introduced himself, I thought his name sounded familiar. He said, uh, I'm Mark Stewart. And he was the former lead singer for one of the most successful Christian bands of the 80s and 90s. Still, still to this day, you'll hear of Audio Adrenaline. An incredible band. And he, he was the lead singer. But he told the story of the loss of his voice. Can you imagine? A rock and roll star playing to stadiums worth of people, being used by God in incredible ways. What is going on that then God would allow him to develop some kind of a vocal cord problem that was permanent? Unless God intervenes, he, he, doctors tell him he will not recover. He lost his voice. This was a Grammy-winning packed stadium, rock and roll star for Jesus kind of guy, and he lost his voice. Can you imagine what that season must have looked like for him? I wonder if he ever went to this scripture and said, God, if your callings and if your giftings are irrevocable, what is up? Explain this to me. But his parents had a, had a ministry in Haiti called Hands and Feet of Jesus, I think is the name of it. And they dealt there with kids. And so he decided just in a way to get away from all the pain, he'd go to Haiti and help his folks. And while he was there, I think it was in 2015, there was this horrible earthquake followed by horrible hurricanes and weathers thereafter. And it just devastated the city. And he was Wolf Blitzer's sidekick 
local um, handler because he, he knew where all the places were and where all the people were that were suffering. And so Wolf tagged along with him. And even though he couldn't speak in his broken voice, he would tell Wolf what to tell the people. And the whole world responded to that situation largely through that partnership. Well, while he was there, you know, he and his wife did not have kids and they were praying about kids, thought that they wanted to adopt. And in, in that uh, broken city, there was so much suffering that many people were losing hope and giving up. And, and one pregnant mother didn't have the, the means to get an abortion. And, and so when she had her baby, she simply went to an outhouse. And the baby dropped 30 feet into the muck of that hole. And people heard the baby whimpering and crying, thought it might still be alive, and they, they came to that hole and they dug it out, and somehow they got to the bottom of that hole, got a hold of that child, and brought that child up to a fatherless and a motherless world. And that young man said, that's not going to be. And he's holding that little child in his arms with her brother in mom's arms. And they adopted these children. God broke his heart so much for these two that he made them a part of his life. Now you tell me, in those kids' eyes, is he more an important instrument of God now or when he was a rock and roll star? But even then, even for those kids, uh, in that particular circumstance, he now goes around with other Christian bands and with this traveling Christian comedian, and at the halftime or intermission, he shares with everybody his heart, his broken heart for the impoverished children of Haiti. And on almost every concert or every comedian's uh, event, Almost 200 kids are adopted by people in those crowds whose hearts are broken with his for those kids. Amen. Now you tell me when God is using him more powerfully. When he had a voice or when he found a voice. When he found that he could not just share his talent but he could intervene for the hopeless. I don't know specifically what God is calling you to do or what God is calling you to be, but I'm here to tell you today, according to the word of God, the call is on. It's still on. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, the calling, the choosing, the gifts of God, are irrevocable because God has said, you're mine. You're mine. And I will work through my kids 
because I am still at work and there's no circumstance in your life where you can't find me at work and join me in it. It may be different than how you helped the last time. It may a different, be a different kind of partnership than it was in the last season, but that doesn't matter. God is still at work. He's still active. He's still creative. He's still amazing in how he uses us. How does he want to use you? Have you been asking him this morning? Has he started to answer? Has he given you a fresh way to, to join him this week in your calling with him? Don't pass it by. Don't miss it. Your life has always had a, a built-in pilot seat. And it only gets truly exciting when your life is partnered with someone who is bigger than you are. He wants to use you this week. Would you say yes? Would you say yes, God show me? Yes, God use me? Yes, God nudge my heart? Yes, God join me in it, whatever it may be? Let me take you along, Lord Jesus, into this life, into this circumstances, all these places that you have put me. I no longer show up alone. You're coming along for the ride. I'm coming along for the ride with you. What kind of adventure could this week be? The callings and the gifts of God are irrevocable. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, breathe the hope of that truth into us. Holy Spirit, alert us to how it can be true moment to moment, day by day, wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we do, we're yours. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, send us, Lord, where you may send no other, Send us this week as your apostles, as those who are called, as those who are gifted, as those who are serving others to bring you glory in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go with him as we stand and sing.